Wednesday edition of PFTPM. I've done it again, Shireen. As mentioned before the show, I worked out too close in time to the beginning of the show. Quick shower, and like Costanza, when he was suspected of stealing the equipment from the Yankees because he was sweating, it didn't take. So um, I'm sweating a little bit. It looked like Kyle Rudolph was glistening a little bit, too, in his first experience with the New York media. So I've got that in common with him and absolute nothing else because he's a giant and is good at sports and I stink. But I am sweating and I'm going to try to stop sweating as quickly as I can. My wife thankfully turned on the air conditioning up here. So hopefully I'll I'll cool down before the end of the next hour. Otherwise, I'll look like Albert Brooks in broadcast news. Good afternoon, Shereen. How are you? <laughs> I am not sweaty, Mike, so we're off to a good start on this side. Well, uh, and, uh, you know, I, again, I'm trying to think of a good segue, but my excuse is I'm sweating, so <laughs> I generally don't have anything. Let's just get to the news. And for a change, we don't spend a whole segment talking about things unrelated to football. We only do it when we have to. There's no reason to do it today because there have been no developments in the biggest story in the NFL, although there's always a chance there will be one over the course of the next hour to which we'll have to pivot. For now, though, one of the big developments is the Super Bowl champion finding a way to keep yet another piece of the puzzle back on the roster. One-year deal for Ndamukong Sue. It'll be his third season now with the Buccaneers. He was Lions, then Dolphins, got cut by the Dolphins, year with the Rams. Now this is year number three on a series of one-year deals with the Buccaneers. They're keeping more and more of the guys they wanted to keep, and they're really down to two guys left that they haven't re-signed, running back Leonard Fournette, receiver Antonio Brown. Sue is a guy that I thought was either going to play for the Bucs or no one, but they've kept that that awesome defensive line in place, and they're going to be getting Super Bowl rings eventually because of that defensive line, although Tom Brady had something to do with it. In the Super Bowl, it was the defensive line. Yeah, this one's not quite done yet, Mike. They're working on some voidable years, as we know, trying to backload that thing so they lower his cap number this year. But he did play on those one-year deals. I think in 2019 it was $9 million. Last year was $8 million. I would expect it to be under that. We talked a lot about him, used him as an example of a guy we thought would have to take less. So we'll see what the final numbers are for Nadama Kansu. I will be very interested in what that, that number is for him for this season. But, you know, aside from the two-game suspension that he had in 2011, he's played in every game. He's been phenomenal out on the field. And it's hard to say someone drafted as high as he, has, as he was by the Lions, who has done as much as he has with all pros, is a forgotten guy, but he kind of is that forgotten guy. He has been over the last, I don't know what, Mike, three, four years, because he was overshadowed by Aaron Donald when he was with the Rams. But I think he's really played outstanding. I think he's a great run stopper, and he showed what he can do against the pass in the Super Bowl with the sack and a half. Uh, of Patrick Mahomes. So they needed to re-sign him. They were number one against the run last season. I think this is a big addition for the Bucks as they keep adding guys and adding guys and adding guys, Mike. They ended up number one against the run, even though they had an extended period of the season without yeah. Vita Vea, who surprisingly emerged from injured reserve during the postseason and was a difference maker down the stretch. So between Vea and Sue on the inside, JPP and Shaq Barrett on the outside, a formidable Front four, yes. which, as I said, had a lot to do with the Buccaneers ultimately winning the Super Bowl. And there still are plenty of recognizable names available in free agency. And I think we are going to continue to see more and more of these players do one-year deals. Shireen, you had raised the possibility yeah. in the past of maybe some guys just saying, I'm out this year because I don't like what I'm being offered. I've thought about that some more and talked about it some more. I think that would be a mistake. Because the game moves on without you. And I think it would be hard for yeah. someone, especially an older player, to say, I'm consciously taking this year off because I don't like the offers I'm getting and I'll just come back next year. I think you need to find a way to play. Even if you jump on board a team November, December, and you're around for a playoff run and right. play into January and play part of the season, I think that's better than just saying, I don't like the offers, I'm not playing this year, and I'll get more next year. I don't think you're going to get more next year than whatever would be on the table this year. I do agree with you there, Mike. I'm talking about a guy like Larry Fitzgerald who really wants to win a Super Bowl. To me, in my mind, he didn't need to go to training camp, right? It's not going to take him long to learn a playbook with another team. I just think he bides his time 
into the season and kind of see how the season goes, see who has the best chance, who he thinks has the best chance to win a Super Bowl. Now, if the Bucks called him tomorrow and said, hey, we, we'd like to bring you on board for the veteran minimum, I would absolutely jump at that if I'm Larry Fitzgerald to go play with Tom Brady and expect to win a Super Bowl this year. But aside from the Bucks, I would wait out my options if I'm him. I would look at the Chiefs and some other teams, and maybe they have injuries at the receiver position that you can go try to win that Super Bowl with the team. So if I'm Larry Fitzgerald I am, and I want to play, I'm going to wait a little bit, Mike, just to see what my options are going forward. But, yeah, we're on the a same lot page. of these guys we're, we're talking about. We're on the same about, page. I'm yeah, sorry if I wasn't clear. My point is, my point is, Guys sitting out the whole year and saying, screw this with the reduced salary cap, I'll be back next year. I think that would be a mistake. These guys need to find spots on rosters and play this year, even if, as you say, Larry Fitzgerald waits and sees how things shake out and then goes and picks a team that he thinks is a contender. So same page on that. And and I think a lot of these guys may want to wait to the point where, you know what, maybe you wait too long and no one needs you. Or you're going to be in competition with That's two or right. three other guys because you've waited for the spot to pop open with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's the injury. Here's my chance. Oh, wait, they signed somebody else instead. Yeah, no doubt about that, Mike. You do roll that dice when, when you do that. But to your point, we saw that with some of the opt-outs, right? These guys thinking they were just going to sit out and then come back and look at Damian Williams. I'm going to come back and join the Chiefs. It'll all be good. And the Chiefs said, you know what? Bye-bye. See you later. And he got a free agent offer elsewhere. But a lot of these guys were like that, Mike, who opted out and tried to come back in this year, and it didn't work out quite the way I think they expected it to work out. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And a lot of the guys who opted out will continue their careers, but a lot of them ending up with with other teams. A different type of opt-out on the table this year because of the salary cap. But, uh, again, I think guys should be looking as best they can to find landing spots, even if they do wait until August, September, October, November, or even December. Alden Smith will be looking to get back sooner than that. He was a great story last year. Four full seasons out of the league, almost five years between regular season games. He had a strong September for the Dallas Cowboys, started all 16 games, finished with five sacks. He should have been the NFC's Defensive Player of the Month, in my opinion. There was at least one week he should have been Defensive Player of the Week. He didn't get either of those. I think he ran out of steam, Shereen, because he hadn't played in so long. And and he looked a little big, you know, a little thick. Not the same kind of lean, angular guy that he was early in his career. But this is a guy who had 42 sacks in 43 regular season games to start his career. And now the Cowboys have decided that they won't be bringing him back. He's been a free agent for a week now. Haven't heard his name other than to hear that the Cowboys won't be bringing him back. But they've moved on. I'm surprised. And I know there's a lot of free agent pass rushers this year. But I'm surprised that no one else has pounced on Alden Smith. Because I think if he had a whole year to get himself into shape get to learn a defense, have a full training camp and preseason, maybe he could do a lot more for a team this year. (laughs) Part of Russell Wilson's anger with the offensive line and wanting to improve that may have come because of Allen Smith, right? The game you're talking about is week three against Seattle. He had three of his five sacks in that one game against that porous Seahawks offensive line and just was constantly harassing Russell Wilson and I agree with you I think he lost steam as the year went on Mike this is not a surprise at all the Cowboys are going back to a 4-3 defense to me he's a 3-4 guy right a guy that's not going to put his hand on the ground is going to rush from the outside Uh, so I think he would find a better fit with the 3-4 team I do think he signed somewhere I think he showed enough and I agree with you I think he will be better this season Uh, having been out so long to get back in it, get his feet underneath him, know what it takes again and what he has to do to to go through an entire season. But this became uh, quite obvious the Cowboys were not going to re-sign him when they signed defensive end Terrell Basham uh, a few days ago. And so they are moving on from Alden Smith. They love what they have with Randy Gregory if he can stay on the field and certainly DeMarcus Lawrence outside. And again, going back to that 4-3 defense, Mike, which I just don't think he fits as well as he does a 3-4. And, you know, they did him a favor making it known that he's not going to be back because we're talking about him today. And we otherwise would not have been talking about him, and he still would have been available in free agency. So maybe the Cowboys leaking to multiple reporters that they wouldn't be bringing him back is a little bit of a kickstart 
in an effort for him to find a new job elsewhere in the NFL. T.Y. Hilton not having to go elsewhere to continue his career as he enters season number 10, all of which with the Indianapolis Colts back on a one-year deal. Colts were looking at Sammy Watkins. You know, a lot of times this time of year, that's aimed at getting another guy who has an offer on the table to jump on it. And there may have been a little something going on there where when T.Y. Hilton heard that they were interested in Sammy Watkins, he decided, I better take what I can get and stay with the Colts. I think he's still got plenty of gas in the tank. And now that they have Carson Wentz, hey, it's a guy who knows the city. It's a guy who knows the team. It's a guy who knows the coaching staff, the everything about it. You, you know, you're not plugging in someone new that you don't know. And uh, they found a way to keep him. And I think that's good for everybody. And uh, they've got, you know, they've got they've got some weapons offensively now. And if Carson Wentz can get back to the guy he was pre 2020, this can be a very competitive and dangerous team on both sides of the ball. Yeah, Mike, right before we came on the air, I saw Stephen Holder, I believe it was, from the Indianapolis Star, reported that one team offered T.Y. Hilton more. It was not the Chiefs, he said, but he didn't name that team. I will be curious to see if that team is the Ravens, if it comes out, because this will be another receiver who has passed up the Ravens, which tells me something about receivers wanting or not wanting to go to the Ravens. Uh, We know they ranked last in passing offense last season. They just had trouble getting the ball down the field. So are they going to be able to entice any receivers at all to come to to Baltimore? That's going to be interesting to see how that works out. But T.Y. re-signing with the Colts just seems like it was meant to be. I I would like to see him finish his career there. I mean, he's he's made a career of it. He did get more, Mike, than I thought he would get, though. $8 million guaranteed. Is quite a bit of money for him, who who did not look like the same player over the last two seasons that he has been early in his career. So we'll see what he can do going forward, if he can get his legs back under him. But it makes perfect sense that he knows the offense and and uh, he'll be a key receiver for Carson Wentz this season. Are you telling me there's a mystery team? Dun, dun, dun. There's a mystery team. Mystery team. Yeah. I'm always skeptical of the mystery teams. I want to know who who it was, uh, and I want to know what yeah. they offered. Otherwise, you can anyone can say that. Anyone can say that, right? I, so, yeah. the, and I'm not saying that any one specific reporter or source is lying, but it's kind of like the PED suspension where they all say, "Oh, I took a supplement that I yeah. didn't know was tainted." They all say it to the point where you can't believe it when you hear it in any one specific case, especially when it's a mystery team. I'm just having some fun. All right. uh, Chase Claypool, uh, uh, not much of a mystery as to what he did outside of a bar in California because it was caught on tape. Look, big brothers everywhere, and it's all of us. We're all carrying around that thing that is going to show what you did, where you did it, and when you did it. And TMZ posted the video of Claypool in a fight that started inside a bar, reportedly ended up outside of the bar. At one point, it looks like Claypool walks over and kicks a guy who's on the ground, and then a guy lunges at Claypool and lands flat on his face, and it looks like Claypool kind of grabs his head and slaps it down onto the asphalt for good measure. I don't know what comes of this. No criminal charges yet. There could be civil litigation depending upon the extent of any injuries. And given the reality that Chase Claypool has, you know, money that someone could try to obtain via the civil justice system. But the NFL has to decide what to do about this. It's him. And you see him go up and kick somebody. If the NFL is going to have a consistent and even-handed application of the personal conduct policy, it's at least something they need to look into, even if it's a fine or a warning or whatever, not the kind of behavior you want to see one of your bright young players involved in, Shereen. And this is the time of year, Mike, that NFL teams worry about their players, right? Because they're not at the team facility. A lot of them leave and go to their off-season homes, and they're there, and and, uh, they have a lot of free time on their hands. So this is the time that that players can get in trouble, and teams hope they do the right things. But we see a lot of these at this point in the off-season before the off-season program begins. Hopefully this works out okay for Chase Claypool and, and the Steelers, but you do worry about players this time of year. And, and he's had a heck of a offseason because we go back a couple weeks ago, you wrote about it, about his diva tendencies uh, that the, the team website reporter who's in the know there, we presume, wrote about some diva tendencies that the Steelers were worried about. So heck of an offseason so far for Chase Claypool. And, you know, 
I remember when I first got into this business, it was like clockwork. The period of time between the end of the season and the start of the offseason program mm-hmm. and then the end of the offseason program, back when it was even more extensive than it is now. Of course, the NFLPA wants there to be none. But during those two windows, from, let's say, January to early April and from mid-June to the start of training camp, players left to their own devices. Yep. That's when there was the uptick in the things that got guys arrested the things that caused problems for players and for teams. And after the Ray Rice incident between Ray Rice, Greg Hardy, and Adrian Peterson, when the NFL beefed up the personal conduct policy and introduced the concept of paid leave, that's when players started to get the message that there would be significant consequences. And I can't help but wonder whether it's been so long that the players who have cycled in don't fully understand it. You know, it, it, it maybe maybe it's not a priority anymore to get guys to understand what they shouldn't do. And there aren't many examples currently in the NFL of guys who have gotten themselves into significant trouble away from the field, despite ongoing incidents in Houston. But but you, maybe you need a reminder every once in a while. Maybe these teams do, need to do a better job. And, and also last year with the pandemic, no bar fights because nobody was in bars. So this is a new dynamic. If you have a reduced offseason program and things are getting back to normal, you're going to have guys back in situations where they could get in trouble. And the teams need to know that the players need to be fully informed of what they should and shouldn't do and understand that someone is always watching you and someone is always recording you. That's right, Mike. Everything we do, just assume that it's on video, that somebody has it somewhere and it's going to come out and and act right and do the right things. And it doesn't sound like he was the instigator in in this instance, but that doesn't matter. I mean, there is clear video of him causing this fight, kicking a guy. And, And so... Just, just don't do some of the things that, you know, think twice before you, you do something like this. And I know it's hard, and I know emotions play a part, but if you're going to go to bars and do things, do all the right things. You know, get Uber or whatever to, to drive you home and do the right things when you're in that bar, Mike. And, and you know, when you see trouble, you have to have the instinct to get away. That's one of the things I've tried get to away. teach my son more than anything else. Have an instinct as to when you need to know to get out of there for whatever reason so you don't get drawn into it so it doesn't it doesn't spill over onto you you never know in this day and age who's carrying a gun you sense trouble you just get the hell out just go just leave nothing good is going to come out of hanging around and possibly getting sucked into some sort of a fracas and uh, that's good advice I think for anyone but especially for folks in the NFL who are going to be magnets for someone who would love to be able to say, I got kicked in the face by Chase Claypool and I took Chase Claypool to court and I got a verdict or settlement from Chase Claypool. Because usually when you're out at a bar and somebody kicks you in the face, good luck collecting from them because they're not going to have a ton of assets, especially younger people. All right. Uh, Speaking of significant assets, Daniel Snyder, uh, more assets out of his pocket because this report broke today. And here's what happened. There's a league meeting next week, and in advance of the league meeting, information gets sent out to the teams. And in the information sent to the teams, one of the things on the agenda is to vote on Daniel Snyder purchasing the minority interest in his franchise from the three gentlemen who have been trying for more than a year to sell more than 40% of the team. Fred Smith, the chairman and founder of FedEx, Robert Rothman, and Dwight Schar. Um, and what, what was going on, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds because most people don't care about this, but the three individuals found a buyer for their interests and Snyder has a right of first refusal, but he, he didn't want to exercise it as to all three of them, just to two of them. And it came down to the fact he didn't have the money to do it and he couldn't borrow the money because the NFL has a limit on how much you can borrow. Well, the NFL waved the magic wand. You know, there, there's no, there, there, there's nothing like having a rule that you're going to make an exception for to the point where the rule doesn't matter. They waved the magic wand. They let him exceed the debt limit, and now he can borrow enough money to buy them out. That's what he's doing at roughly 950 million for more than 40 percent of the team. That's a valuation of just under 2.4 billion. But remember, minority shares aren't worth as much as the majority ownership because you don't have voting rights. You don't have a path to. to 
control of the team, but still a significant transaction, almost a billion dollars that Dwight uh, that that uh, Daniel Snyder has to come up with to get these guys out of his hair for good and consolidate Shireen one hundred percent of the team. Well, and Fred Smith, by the way, is an Atlanta Falcons fan now. That's where his son now is the head coach. So uh, move on, Fred. Take your money and, and go root for your Falcons. But you know, Mike, I like the way this franchise is is going. Uh, and I know they're under investigation. I understand all that. But I, I like the hires that they've made uh, since the investigation started. Ron Rivera is obviously the face and the voice of this team. Martin Mayhew as GM. I, I go way back with Martin Mayhew to when he played for the Buccaneers. I love Martin Mayhew. Jason Wright, president, he's shown me a lot of positive things. Julie Donaldson is senior VP of media. So I like some of the hires he's made. If you can keep Dan Snyder out of this team and let Ron Rivera and Jason Wright and Martin Mayhew and Julie Donaldson continue to do what they're doing now, I think this team has a bright, bright future, Mike. There is also an implicit conclusion that can be drawn from the fact that the NFL has allowed Daniel Snyder to exceed the league's per-team debt limit and borrow the money necessary to pay for 40% of the team and own all of it. And that is that it's highly unlikely the end result of the ongoing investigation into workplace misconduct will result in the league requiring Daniel Snyder to sell the team. Remember, a few weeks ago, 106.7 The Fan in D.C. reported that Beth Wilkinson, the lawyer that initially was hired by the team, before the league took over the investigation, had recommended. It turns out she hasn't recommended it yet. Someone got their hands on a draft report where she was recommending that there be a forced sale of the team. I don't believe that's going to happen. I believe that there will be a significant fine imposed on Daniel Snyder. I think we'll find out that the three minority owners were fined and money was collected from them as part of their exit package of the $950 million that they'll be getting because they took Snyder to court instead of handled everything quietly through the internal arbitration procedures and the league owners don't like it when the dirty laundry gets aired. But the the big takeaway for me is that Snyder will not be forced to sell the team. We won't have another Jerry Richardson situation where Jeff Bezos or someone else is going to show up and buy the franchise from Daniel Snyder, who's squeezed by the power structure in the league to move on as the discipline for this this problem. However extensive it was, however long it lasted, I hope we're going to have transparency. I hope we'll be able to judge whether or not whatever the punishment is fits whatever the crimes are. I hope it doesn't get brushed under the rug. But whatever the end result is, it looks like the NFL is not going to force him to walk away, Shereen. Yeah, that's what this seems to be an indication of, Mike. And you know, I hope they, they solve the problem that they have and they make, you know, whatever suggestions are made or, or maybe they won't even be suggestions. Maybe they'll be forced to make changes. But whatever those changes are, they certainly need to make them based on what we've read and heard that's, that's come out of this already. But I'm with you. I hope there's some transparency and we can see exactly if, if the punishment fits that crime, Mike. And uh, it's my understanding that Snyder is intent on keeping the team because he wants his children eventually to inherit it and run it, and that's why he wants to hang on to it. This is a team he's had for 22 years now, bought it in 1999 for $750 million, and now buying 40% of the interest in the team for $950 million. It shows you how the value of these franchises continues to go up and up. All right. Let's take a break. When we return, we are going to look at the teams in the NFC that have taken care of business so far in the offseason and those that have more work to do. We'll do that next on PFTPM. Free agency started a week ago today, officially. It's been nine days since teams were allowed to start rounding up new players. So we thought this would be a good time to take a look back at the teams that 
both have taken care of business so far in the offseason and the teams that have more work to do as the offseason continues. Obviously, the next big tentpole event for the NFL is the draft in about a month and a week, five, six weeks from now. It's, it's, it's coming quickly, Shireen. So based on what we've seen so far, give me a team that you think has done a good job of taking care of its offseason business and reaching its objectives. Well, I'm going to keep pounding the table for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mike. The defending Super Bowl champions have gotten it done. If you look back, let's go back in history, Mike. 2002, they won the Super Bowl, right? They were horrible the next year. 7-9 and nine the next year, and they didn't win another postseason game until when? Until this year. They were horrible. That team fell apart now. Their defensive pieces were a little bit older, and that's what carried them. And Brad Johnson was at quarterback. It's not like they had that franchise quarterback to to take them back to the Super Bowl. But this team has been kept together, and I think they've done a great job, and they have a great chance now to repeat with what they've done this offseason. I never thought they would be able to keep all these guys. To, to be able to franchise Chris Godwin, to extend Tom Brady, to re-sign Levante David, Shaq Barrett, Gronk, Ryan Suckup. They're close on getting Sue back. They extended Donovan Smith today. We didn't even talk about him. He gets two years and $31.8 million. His contract now runs through 2023. And it guess what? It freed up $10 million in cap space for this year. They still need to address a couple things. You know, they may or may not get A.B. and Fournette back. I think they're fine, even if they don't get those guys back. But they do need to address backup quarterback. And whether that's in the draft or or with one of these veterans or however they do it, they do need to address that, Mike. But they've done a terrific job this offseason with getting these guys back and giving them a second chance to repeat. How dare you speak ill, or at least imply ill, of Blaine Gabbert? the backup quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who now has a Super Bowl ring or eventually will have a Super Bowl ring. Take that, Fran Tarkenton, Dan Marino, and Dan Fouts. Blaine Gabbert got what you don't have. That's one of the things I just – it's just amazing to me how many guys out there have Super Bowl rings when there are so many great players who deserve them so much more. No offense to Blaine Gabbert. He knows. He knows. We know. We all know. Um, I agree with everything you said about the Buccaneers. They have called their shot. They have kept their guys. It's down to Leonard Fournette and Antonio Brown. They have systematically found ways to keep their players, creating cap space, going all in for a second straight year. You know, last year, when they signed Antonio Brown during the season, an executive with another team said to me, I don't understand what the Buccaneers are doing. They are so short-sighted. They are building nothing. They're going to regret this in a few years. Well, They got a new Super Bowl trophy to help them deal with whatever disappointment they may have when Tom Brady's gone in 2024 or 2025, and they may end up with two. So uh, sometimes it's good to go all in on a one-shot deal if you get a Super Bowl, and now they've found a way to extend that to two years, and they could get two in a row by the time it's all said and done. Washington could be the two-time back-to-back champion of the NFC East. I like what they've done. It's very quiet. It's very systematic. Bringing in a guy like William Jackson the third at corner, Curtis Samuel at receiver, Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, under the radar team that just is going about taking care of what it needs to do, quietly trusting that the team will continue to grow. The development of Chase Young, Montez Sweat, some young players who have real potential. Terry McLaurin, one of the best receivers in the game already. Antonio Gibson was a great running back last year as a rookie in Washington. And I just, I like that they, they didn't rush into anything. They didn't overpay anyone. They're just, they're just checking their boxes, taking their time, checking their boxes, get a player we need here, get a player we need there, get a player we need there. And the next thing you know, they're better than they were in 2020 when they went seven and nine, all things considered, this is a team that we can look at right now and say they are better than the team that last played in the wild card round of the postseason. I'm right there with you, Mike. They would have been my number two pick in the NFC with what they've done. They didn't find the franchise quarterback that they wanted. They tried to get in on Matthew Stafford. They didn't get him. So they have the bridge quarterback, right? And we know what Ron Rivera thinks of Kyle Allen and what he thinks of Tyler Taylor Heineke after what he did in the postseason against the Bucs. 
but just all the moves they quietly made. I thought Curtis Samuel was one of the best bargains in free agency with what he can do in the run game and as a receiver. William Jackson, as you said, they re-signed Dustin Hopkins, and by the way, they franchise tagged Brandon Sharif, who's one of the best guards in football. So this is a team, I think, again, just what I said when we were talking about Dan Snyder. I just think they're building, Mike. I think they're building towards something special here. They've got to find that franchise quarterback. Maybe they do it in the draft, but I don't think they're pressured to do it in the draft because of what they have at quarterback. And Rod Rivera seems to like all three of these guys right now. And I'm glad you mentioned Brandon Scherf because – it had been bothering me. I knew I was missing a franchise tag guy for the second time who has yet to do a long-term deal. Dak Prescott, Justin Simmons, Leonard Williams of the Cowboys, Broncos, Giants, respectively, all took second tags, turned them into long-term deals. Scherf hasn't done that yet because, look, if you don't, if you don't do it, the guy's going to be unrestricted next year. You're not going to tag him a third straight time because for non quarterbacks it's quarterback money or a 44 percent raise over your cap number in your second year which is prohibitive for any position including quarterback but for other positions it's just not going to work so they need to get that worked out with Scherf as well that's more work they need to do but we otherwise like what they have done so far give me another team in the NFC Shireen where you like what they've managed to take care of so far in the offseason well I like the Rams, and I like it for one simple fact, okay? I'm I'm not convinced, and I know you guys are more than I am, that, that they upgraded a whole lot at quarterback. I, it, I get it. But they were convinced that Jared Goff wasn't going to get it done for them, right? So they moved on, and they were able to find a team to take that contract and start over again with Matthew Stafford at the most important position in the game. So I like that, that that they weren't just going to stand pat and go, hey, this is a guy that got us to the Super Bowl two years ago. Let's just keep going with Jared Goff. They had realized he's not going to take that next step for us. Let's move on. They did that, and and I thought that was a really good move for them. Resigning Leonard Floyd to me was was huge. Now I'm glad they kept Darius Williams. I think he's important to them. We've talked a lot about giving him the first round tag. I don't think that was a good idea. I think they could have gotten by with a second-round tag, but they did it, and they assured that they were going to keep him. Nobody's going to give up a first-round draft pick for Darius Williams, so he's going to be on their roster uh, this year. So I like some of the moves this Rams team has made, especially considering what they did last year with the number one overall defense. They still have the best player in football in Aaron Donald, and we feel like they've upgraded a little bit on the offensive side with the quarterback. And, and I respect their ability to unload the Jared Goff contract in a way that was not nearly as conspicuous as it would have been. Yeah. It's accepted by some in league circles that it was a one and a three for Matthew Stafford and a first round pick to take Goff's deal. And uh, look, the average fan is not going to understand that. Maybe even the average Stan Kroenke isn't going to understand that. And I really do think at some level, the folks who run that football operation, Les Snead, Sean McVay, Kevin Demoff to some extent, they, they, need, they need to be sure that Stan Kroenke's okay with some very bad decisions they have made as it relates to who should get paid and who shouldn't get paid. They dragged their feet with Aaron Donald. They gave money to Todd Gurley and to Jared Goff way too early. They traded for Jalen Ramsey without getting a new contract on the way through the door, giving him all the leverage in the eventual negotiations on his second deal. They have made some bad business moves. There's no denying that. And I'm why do you hate the Rams? I, I don't hate the Rams. I love truth. And the truth is this team has somehow managed to be highly functional on the field, so functional on the field that we haven't really noticed the dysfunction when it comes to who they pay and who they don't pay and when they pay and when they shouldn't pay and go ahead and pay anyway. Arizona Cardinals are a team that I like what they've done. They're not content to be 8-8 and or possibly worse this year, possibly fourth place in the division if the 49ers are less injured, if the Seahawks are less dysfunctional, and if the Rams continue to upgrade the way that we think they have. First, you go get J.J. Watt. Then you get Rodney Hudson in a trade with the Raiders. You bring in A.J. Green, a move that surprised a lot of people. I like what they're doing. 
I like how they're going about business. Kept Marcus Golden, let Hassan Reddick walk away. There's a question as to whether or not he was a flash in the pan last year. He obviously thinks he wasn't. I, I, I just think that this is a team that is at least trying. And it didn't feel like desperation. It, it, it feels like a conscious, deliberate effort to address areas of, of need and to try to improve the team. So I got no problem with with that approach, even though, yeah, did they give J.J. Watt more than I think they should have? Yes. Is A.J. Green a, a calculated risk? Absolutely. But I like the fact that they know they're in the toughest division in football and they're not going to stand pat with what they have. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike, and they'd be in my top four as well. I think they've had a really good offseason. I think J.J. Watt and A.J. Green will bring that veteran presence to both sides of the ball. I think that helps. I probably would have preferred Larry Fitzgerald over A.J. Green, but that's just me. A.J. Green can at least provide leadership, if nothing else. He's your third receiver, maybe your fourth receiver on this team. So, yeah, I like what they've done. I think they're going to be competitive in that division this year. I'd be stunned if the Cardinals don't actually know that Larry Fitzgerald has decided not to play for them this year. Everyone's taking the high road. They wouldn't have signed A.J. Green if they thought he was coming back. I really do think he's waiting to see whether or not he climbs on board with the Super Bowl contender. We're going to take a break. When we return, teams from the NFC that have more work to do over the balance of the offseason. We'll do that next on PFTPM. All right, we talked about teams that have gotten business taken care of. How about some teams that have more work to do over the balance of the 2021 offseason? Shereen, I'll give you the first crack at identifying a team that needs to do more work and why. Well, we talked about Washington having one of the better offseasons in the NFC. I would say the Cowboys still have a lot of work to do to improve on their offseason. They did accomplish their biggest goal, which was re-signing Dak Prescott to a long-term deal. I'll give them that one. But as far as improving this roster, I don't know that they've done that so far, Mike. They've just not made a lot of moves. Yes, they've re-signed Jordan Lewis. Yeah, he's your nickel corner. Okay. They signed uh, safety uh, Keanu Neal. They got him. He may play outside linebacker for them. We'll see what they do with him. They got a backup offensive tackle. They just haven't done a whole lot. You saw how much the backup quarterback was important to them last year. They don't have that. They lost Andy Dalton, and they still need a ton of defensive help. I mean, this is a a franchise that, that set the franchise record for points allowed in a season. 473 points they gave up. They were horrible at stopping the run. They've neglected the three technique, and they've neglected the safety position forever. So they have got to improve at both of those positions. So we know last year they passed up the getting defensive help in the first-round pick when CeeDee Lamb fell to him. I have a hard time arguing that CeeDee Lamb wasn't the pick there, but they've got to do a better job of getting de- defensive help in this draft if they're going to be a better team on the field this year. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you completely, and I still continue to have misgivings about how they handled Dak Prescott. As I ex- explained it in a post yesterday, they waited too long, and then they didn't yeah. wait long enough. I I, I and it, that 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 cap money could have gone to address other areas. I'm a little surprised they retained Ezekiel Elliott and guaranteed his salary for next year. This is just a team that I I. I I know that every year there's this sense that on paper they're going to be really good, but it just I, I feel like there is more that they need to do. There are more weaknesses than they will ever admit. And I think what happens is when you are so premised on hyping and hyping and hyping your team, sometimes you start to believe the hype instead of acknowledging where the very real flaws are and getting to work on addressing them. The Seahawks have tried to address some of their weaknesses. I just I'm looking at the list of the free agents they've signed and I just you know it's I don't want to be disrespectful to these players, but there's there's nobody they've signed that makes me say, wow, that is going to make all the difference. Wow, that guy's going to make all the difference. I'm not saying they should have overpaid to keep Shaquille Griffin at corner, who signed a three-year deal, what, $45 million-ish, I think, yeah. with the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's hard not to have all these numbers blend together. 
But, you know, a, a couple of pass rushers. Okay, Kerry Hyder wasn't bad, but I, I just, between that and the lingering question of what Russell Wilson wants and does he want to be part of the team and are they going to reconfigure their overall philosophy to cater to Russell Wilson, I just feel like this team is kind of in quicksand and they've got their hands on a rope and we're not quite sure whether they're going to be able to pull themselves out of it. I feel like that's where they are right now. And there's nothing they've done in the offseason that screams out upgrade, that screams out we're taking the next step, we're moving to the next level. They kept Chris Carson. Well, there's a reason Chris Carson wasn't pounced upon by other teams. He's a running back who can't stay healthy. You can't bank on a running back who can't stay healthy. And this isn't a criticism. Some running backs can stay healthy. Some can't. It's a difficult position to play. Guys get injured. Some guys are just constituted differently than others, and they can take that pounding. They, they need a Marshawn Lynch. They can't find a Marshawn Lynch. So they renew their vows with Chris Carson and what? Hope that he all of a sudden – after years of wear and tear, is going to be better equipped to avoid being injured as he puts more wear and tear on his on his body. I, I just, for a team that I still think will be a playoff contender and likely make the playoffs because of Pete Carroll, I, I look at the pieces and I say you got to do more if you want to be more than just a team that makes it to the wild card round and maybe if you're lucky gets to the divisional round. Well, and I go back, Mike, to to what Russell Wilson said right after the season, which I want to see this offensive line upgraded. Did Gabe Jackson alone do that? I, I assume they're going to spend some draft picks on some offensive linemen and maybe sign some other free agents out there, but I don't know that there's going to be any free agents out there who are going to come in and help this offensive line. So I don't know that they've upgraded the one position that Russell Wilson said he wanted to see them improve upon right Mike I just don't know that Gabe Jackson it makes that huge big of a difference for Russell Wilson to keep him from getting sacked a record number of times yeah and the bottom line is the Raiders didn't want to keep Gabe Jackson for a reason all right give me another team Shereen that needs more to do more work well guess what Mike the Packers signed their first free agent today and their second free agent today and the first one was a long snapper I'd never heard of and the reason is he's never played in the NFL before so they did get a tight end in Mercedes Lewis but this is a team that just hasn't done anything and again you go back to Aaron Rodgers comments at the end of the season about wanting to have a say in personnel and upgrade to me the best move they've made is keep Aaron Jones but again we're talking about a running back you can find running backs I know he fits our offense I know he scored what 30 touchdowns over the last two years but that's not a prime position I just don't think when I look at this roster that it's upgraded at all over last year and to me there's still a huge gap maybe bigger than even what there was in the NFC championship game between the Packers and the Buccaneers. I, I continue to be fascinated. The more I think about it, write about it, talk about it, the decision not to do a full-blown restructuring of Aaron Rodgers' contract to create cap space that could be used to sign other players and that also, if they did the maximum reconfiguration of his compensation this year, reduce his salary to the minimum of $1.075 million, it would have made it impossible for the Packers to trade him before June 1 of 2022, which would have gone a long way toward giving him the security wants. You know, usually that restructuring is a benefit to the team. The player, all you get out of it is we create a cap space and I get all my money now. I was going to get it anyway. In this case, given the magnitude of the restructuring they could have done with Aaron Rodgers, it would have created a cap charge of 33 million next year not 17 million to trade him before june 1 which would have given him i think what he wanted so they haven't placated him which i don't think they want to so i i can't really fault them for that but they've still got this vague awkward issue with aaron Rodgers. they've done nothing to bring in more players that are going to help Aaron Rodgers in the passing game. Yeah, Devin Funches is back. He opted out last year. That really isn't a significant upgrade for the Green Bay Packers. I I just I think that if they do want to take that next step and not just fizzle out in the NFC Championship after a 13 and 3 season for the third straight year, they got to do more. 
and there's only so much they can do. And you can say, oh, they kept Aaron Jones. Well, okay, fine. But, again, you're treading water. You're not speeding up. They, they, they are in a position where we want to see them go next level because they are right there on the cusp. They are in the process of knocking on the door. What are they going to do to kick it in? Uh, the 49ers were in that spot a couple of years ago. This is my other choice. And, and the main reason I picked the 49ers is I don't believe they're content with the quarterback position. And they, so far, have not addressed it. I know that they'll say all the right things. The players will say all the right things, whether it's George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk, or anyone else. Of course, they're going to say positive things about their teammate. John Lynch will say the right things. Kyle Shanahan will say the right things. I think they continue to search for someone who is dollar for dollar better than Jimmy Garoppolo. They don't want to pay him $25 million this year. $25 million is unjustified given the fact that he has missed more games over the last three seasons than he's won as a starter during his time with the 49ers. You can't rely on him to stay healthy. Even if he plays all games this year like he did in 2019, that's not going to prove me wrong. He's missed too many games between 2018 and 2020. The way the rules are, aimed at protecting quarterbacks, you got to be more reliable by way of showing up and playing. Why do you hate Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't hate Jimmy Garoppolo. I like analyzing things. I like looking at a situation and saying, what can be done to make this team better? And Shireen, until they address their quarterback situation, the San Francisco 49ers still have work to do. I still think, Mike, that we're going to have some quarterback moves coming up, whether it's before the draft or during the draft or soon after the draft, because if the Jets take a quarterback, I mean, you can almost count that Sam Sam Darnold's going to be elsewhere. If they trade him to the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo's going to be elsewhere, maybe in New England, wherever. So I still think we're going to have some moves. Deshaun Watson still could be moved at some point before the end of this season. So we're going to see some of these quarterbacks, I think, move around, Mike, uh, before this is all said and done in 2021. Yeah, I think Darnold is the guy that they're watching, and the Jets first have to decide they're going to move on from him. The Jets have to decide when they're going to try to trade him. I continue to believe the window to watch is the 18 hours from the completion of round one of the draft to the start of round two, the Josh Rosen cycle. That's when I think we see Sam Darnold possibly being traded, and that's where the 49ers could pick him up. And then just like that, Jimmy Garoppolo would be gone. I don't think they'd trade him. Who's going to pay him $25 million this year? He'd be cut. There's no reason for him to accept a pay cut to facilitate a trade. Just say, cut me and I'll pick my next team. So we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, some news regarding a former number one overall pick in the draft who may be getting his latest new team. More PFTPM right after this. How about this? Jadavian Clowney, the well-traveled former Texan, then Seahawk, then Titan, now potentially a member of the Cleveland Browns, teaming up with Aggie great Miles Garrett. What a what a bookend package that would be. <laughs> and Shereen, I, I know that Jadavian Clowney does not get many sacks, but he is the master of the Chris Sims copyrighted F up the play stat where Jadavian Clowney blows everything up and whatever it is that the offense intended to do, they can't do. And someone else gets the tackle or the sack. That's where Clowney's value comes from. If he can play, that's the big if. Yeah. Well, and that's the big question I was going to have Mike based on what he did last year, the Titans spent all that money for him and, didn't get a whole lot out of him. Eight games, no sacks, 19 tackles. So the Browns certainly would hope to get more out of him if they do sign him. They're in a lot of these players that we hear about. But one move they wanted to make, we know, was in proving that pass rush opposite of Miles Garrett. They lost Olivier Vernon, and they wanted to improve that position. I do think Jadavion Clowney, if he can stay on the field, would improve that uh, position and this again this to me looks like a team that's really building towards something special if Baker Mayfield is what they think he can be if he becomes that I thought he took a step this year if he could take another step next year 
this could be a Super Bowl team in a couple years, Mike. Tack McKinley was added recently by the Browns. He's a former first-round pick of the Falcons who has not lived up to expectations. He's a rotational guy in that pass rush, and I think any great defensive approach in the front four needs to have eight guys that will go in and out, and they stay fresh as the offensive line wears down. Jadavian Clowney, a guy, you have to use him carefully. I don't think you give him huge money. He has to establish himself and prove that he can stay healthy and get it done. And if he is healthy, I think back to that Monday night game during the 2019 season between the 49ers and the Seahawks. He was dominant in that game. And and he came out of that game with a a sports hernia that – needed to be dealt with and and needed to be managed the rest of the season. And it's just unfortunate. And and remember his rookie season with the Houston Texans, the knee injury that ultimately required microfracture surgery, which puts you basically on a shelf life for how long that knee is going to have anything in it that cushions the various bones and pieces. It's it's uh you know, I don't know how much he has left. It's a shame he never got a big second contract. Yes, he got paid like the first overall pick in the draft, but that's not what it used to be. He never got that second contract that paid him big money, and he, he is, I think, definitely now in a mode where it's one year at a time, one year at a time, one year at a time, until he can either not find an offer or he decides to walk away. Yeah, and that's kind of the way it's been, Mike. Remember the Texans franchised him and then traded him to Seattle, and he's one year there and one year in Tennessee. And we remember the big bidding war they had last year, and it was a big deal when Tennessee signed him. Not so big now when Cleveland signs him because it doesn't look like he has that big of a market. But I would like this signing for Cleveland if they are able to get him, Mike. One item of old business that just popped up, Marcus Mariota taking that steep pay cut from the Raiders. He was the second overall pick in 2015, spent five years with the Tennessee Titans, had a $10.75 million base package this year, dropped it to three and a half, got a no trade clause. That was a question that came up recently when we were talking about either on this show or the morning show, the idea that, well, what if they just turn around and trade him somewhere now? He has a no trade clause as part of this. So he is going to stay with the Raiders and make that three and a half million dollars as the number two to Derek Carr. Yeah. Or Mike, you look at the trade deadline, maybe a team loses a quarterback and he gets a chance to go start somewhere and he waves that trade clause. So this is a good move for Marcus Mariota, I think. Yeah, I, I was I was uh, unhappy that he didn't hold firm and didn't just insist on being released by the Raiders, but it may be that the Raiders offered him something better than any other team was willing to pay. I thought he was going to end up in New England as the alternative to Cam Newton. All right, that is it for this Wednesday edition of PFTPM. We'll see you tomorrow morning for PFT Live. Enjoy your evening, and thanks for some of your time.